morning. Double checking them on here. We are um, going to be continuing to look at Micah. If you want to have a Bible, uh, grab a Bible and turn to Micah chapter 4. We're going to look at Micah 4, 6 to 13. And uh, I'm thankful that we're looking at this passage today because life can be really hard. Life can be really hard, and I know that everybody listening knows that. Um, basically, uh, the first three chapters of Micah, God has been warning the Israelites that because of their own sin, because of their rebellion against God, because of their idolatry, that he was going to allow and bring even real hardship into their lives. Um, but the beauty of chapter 4 is that chapter 4 is full of all sorts of words of encouragement and hope for those particularly who are dealing with hardship and suffering and struggle. So um, if that is you, if that's been you, I'm sorry to say that will be you. Listen to God's word as I read from Micah 4, verses 6 to 13. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make, a, make the remnant, and those who are cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go out to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan. That he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. For I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples, and shall devote their, grain, their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us today um, to uh, receive your word, uh, to listen to what you want to say to us, to what your spirit wants to show us. Father, we pray that you would help us not to be deaf to your truth, but help us to take it in, help us to root ourselves in it, help us to drink deeply of it. And we pray that your spirit would work in us to strengthen us, and to change us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the little boy had fallen down and got up and was struggling, struggling to even take a step. He was on the other side of the driveway from us, and, and, and he could hardly even stand. And the only thing that he could cry out to us was, I need a Band-Aid! And so we rush over to him, 
and he's like, you know, barely just able to stand, and he, he's not putting any pressure on his leg, and, and, and we're like, where, where's it hurt? What, what's the matter? What, what, what happened? Where's the owie? And, and so he, he points at his knee, and we're like, okay, where, where exactly is it? Can you point exactly to where it hurts? And, we, and, and he points again, and we look, and, and just, you know, as we, as we look intently at his knee, we finally see this like, this like mild little tiny scrape. You can even debate whether there's any blood coming out at all. But to him, it's like the worst injury he's ever had in his life. And, and for the rest of the day, he can hardly walk around. He's just like hobbling, you know, just trying to get from one place to the other. He can't go up and down stairs. You know, we have to carry him. Even to just to get his jammies on at night is a chore. He's, he struggles and he, and he just limps from one place to another for the entire day. Now, no matter how old or how young you are, life is certain to rough you up. Life is certain to rough you up. We all go through things that result in pain. They result in suffering, in wounds, in scars. We all go, all of us, go through things that result in us having to limp through life. They result in us having to limp through life. Uh, for those who are little, it, it can be as something as simple as just stumbling on the sidewalk or maybe having the other kids be like, I don't want to play with you over and over and over again. Um, as you get older, they seem to be get, get bigger and bigger. You know, when, when we hear news about, uh, about the fact that, that we have some kind of illness that is going to be really painful to treat and it's going to cost us a lot and it results in us having to limp or as we deal with maybe someone that we know, a, a close friend, betraying us or saying something really hurtful and results in us having to limp. When we lose somebody that we love, either to death or, or to possibly having to move away and we're really close to them and, and, and it results in us having to limp, a lot of times the limps that we live with are the result of our own actions and our own hearts, our own sin, you know, our, our own failures and our shame produces a limp in us sometimes. The, the way that we put our hope in things that, that aren't going to sustain us. You know, we put our hope in money. We put our hope in, in certain relationships. And, and those things fail us. And we end up limping along. Well, Micah speaks to the Israelites in anticipation of the fact that they are going to be limping. They're going to be limping at some point in the future. They, they've turned from God. He's going to bring his judgment against them. They're going to be conquered by outside nations, ultimately by Babylon. They're going to experience um, an invasion from Assyria first, and then ultimately in, in a bunch of years they're going to be conquered by Babylon and carried off into exile. And they're going to be limping along. And, and, and Micah, at the beginning of this passage, he, he addresses them as those who are weak, those who are cast off, those who are lame, right? He used the word lame here a couple times in the first couple verses. And, and multiple commentators, as I, as I was reading this, they, they point out that the, the first word that he uses for lame here um, is, is very likely an allusion to Jacob. That the word lame doesn't necessarily in the first verse mean a person who can't walk at all. If you know the story of Jacob back in the, in the book of Genesis, he, he's a guy who's constantly living by his own wits and trying to, to grasp for whatever he can get out of life taking advantage of other people, manipulating other people. And there comes a point when he, he's kind of 
facing all of the consequences of his sin, and, and he's out in the, as, as he's traveling, and he, and he goes down to sleep, and, and God meets him and wrestles with him. And he just clings to God, and, and, and at the end of this wrestling match, God finally just touches his hip, wrenches it out of, out of socket, and, and for the rest of his life, Jacob walks with a limp. And a lot of commentators point out that this is, this is very likely an allusion to that idea of limping along because of what God has done. Um, and so these words, I think, are, are, are addressed to those who are limping along because of the brokenness of the world and, and especially because of the brokenness and the sin and the rebellion in our own hearts. So what does God have to say through Micah to those who are limping along, to us who are limping along right now? Well, the, the first thing that I think this passage does is it gives comfort to those who are limping. It gives comfort to those who are limping. He, he reminds those who are, are lame and limping, number one, that he cares, that he cares about them. Right? In the very first verse, he says, In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away. God, God's heart is a heart of compassion towards those who are limping along. And he wants to grab them and, and gather them to himself, to be close to him. He sees those who are, who are hurting and who are injured and who are wounded, even in spite of the fact that it's because of their own mistakes and failures. And he wants to gather them. He cares about those who are limping along. And so, and so and number one, it, it, we need to draw comfort from the fact that, that as you are facing things in your life where you are, are struggling and, and you're wounded and you're limping along, remember God sees you and he has compassion and he cares about you. He wants to gather you to himself. The people of the kingdom of God are people who limp. This is who God, he, it says, I, the lame I will make the remnant. That is the, the people who limp are the only types of people that make up God's kingdom, God's people. He cares about those who are limping. But, but also, there, there's comfort, not just because he reminds us he cares about us, but, but there's comfort because he reminds us that, that those who, as, as far as those who are limping, he has a plan for them. He has a plan. In verse 11, um, he reminds, it says, Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. All the enemies of Israel, you anticipate them kind of gloating and taking satisfaction in, in the ruin of Israel and the fact that they're now limping. Um, and yet, verse 12 says, But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan. God has a plan. He has a plan for those who are weak and struggling. He has a plan to exalt them. He has a plan to make them strong in verse 7. Those who are cast off, he's going to make into a strong nation, and he's going to reign among them forevermore. He's going to reign among them and give them security. He's going to exalt them. He has a plan for those who are limping. Okay, And so in light of this, I think this applies in two ways, the idea that God has a plan as we limp around in life. God has a plan for us. So number one, one way that this applies is the fact that, that, that suffering, getting roughed up in life, is part of God's plan. We need to recognize that. We need to recognize that, that 
when we go through things that, that wound us, and, and we're just kind of like struggling from one day to the next, just being like, ah. Oh. That, that's part of God's plan to bring us from point A to point B, to grow us as his people, to mature us as his people. And you, you actually see that this is part of God's plan here in, in verse 6. It says, In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away. And it says, And those whom I have afflicted. Part of God's plan for Israel is that he, he is the one who's going to engineer and allow for, their, for them to be conquered and, and taken into exile in order to teach them, in order to grow them, in order to move them to a place of, of idolatry and self-sufficiency to a place of dependence on him. It's part of God's plan. And so we need to recognize that, that if, if struggle and difficulty and hardship, the fact that life is hard is a part of God's plan, we, we need to recognize that, that, that he is using all of these things for us. They're not just things for us to try to escape, to long to escape. They're things for us to, to receive and, and, and to say, God, what, what are you trying to teach me in the midst of this? I heard one, uh, just read, read actually a, a book I was reading. A guy said, you know, there, there's no shortcuts to maturity as a Christian. Well, then he says, but then he corrects himself. Well, he says, well, there's, there's one shortcut. The Bible tells us there's one shortcut to maturity. That shortcut is suffering. I would argue that actually the Bible says this suffering and, and things that, that, bring, that cause us to limp are actually necessary for us to grow and to know God. I mean, that's what God did in Jacob's life. As Jacob walked the rest of his life with a limp, he was reminded constantly of God's greatness and of his need to rely on God rather than himself. And so that's the one way it applies. As, as we look at the things that, that we're struggling with right, right now, do not forget that God is using them as part of his plan to grow you, to, to, grow, to, to grow you to a place of, of deeper contentment, of greater joy, of more abiding peace. But then, secondly, is, this, this applies to us. The, the fact that God has a plan applies to us in, in the sense that, that we, we, we can't allow our present suffering to completely define us and weigh us down. Um, God's plan may involve struggle right now, but there is a future part of his plan that involves freedom and joy and the absence of all pain and sin. Uh, that comes out here, I think, in this passage. There's, there's several places where, where he uses the word now here. Three times he uses the word now in, in, verse, uh, in verse 9. He says, now, why do you cry aloud? And then in verse 10 he says, for now you shall go out from the city. And then in verse 11, now many nations are assembled against you. It's, in the present, it feels like things are going wrong. It's ugly. It's bad. It's unbearable. Now. But what he says is that after they've been taken into Babylon, there, then, in the future, in verse 10, you shall be rescued. The Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. The Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore, in verse 7. There is a then, yes, there is a now that is hard and painful, but don't forget that there is a then and a there 
a future in which Jesus will return and he will make all things new. And so don't allow yourself to be crushed by the belief that isolation and loneliness is the only thing you're always going to know. Or pain and, and, and ill health and weakness is all you will ever know. Or broken relationships are, are all you will ever know. He promises to do something amazing and beautiful and miraculous in the future. And we need to, we need to remember that and live in light of that with real hope and confidence. And that is what gives us comfort. That's what gives comfort to those who are limping, that, that God cares and that he has a plan. But God doesn't just give comfort for those who are limping here. He also gives us a challenge. He gives us a challenge. Look at verse 13. Actually, if you back up, in verse 12, um, God says that uh, uh, the, the, the nations, the enemies of God, don't know the thoughts and the plans of the Lord and, and what is part of his plan at the end of verse 12? That he has gathered them as sheaves for the threshing floor. The threshing floor is where they would bring the wheat and they would, and they would stomp on it or they would have animals stomp on it to separate the grain from the husk in, in the process of eventually separating the good stuff from the bad stuff. And so this is an image that he's gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. It's an image that God is going to bring judgment on his enemies. He's going to bring judgment on the enemies of God's people. But then in verse 13, verse 13, he gives his people a command. He says, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. Arise and thresh. I'm, I'm, I'm commanding you, God's people, the limping ones, to rise up and be part of God's work in waging war on my enemies. And then he says, I will make your horn iron and I will make your hooves bronze. And it's, it's a picture of kind of invincibility and strength as, as they're called to do this. So he, he wants to give them confidence as they think about waging war on his behalf against those who are his enemies. So the people of God, the limping ones, the wounded ones, the ones who have been roughed up but who now find their strength in God are challenged by God to wage war. And to do it with confidence, knowing that God's power works in and through them to accomplish his purposes. So what does this mean when he says, arise and, th arise and thresh? This sounds kind of violent. Is he calling us all to go out, as, as his people, those who believe in Jesus, to go out and, and violently, physically take people down who don't believe in God? Uh, no. No. Okay. I... I I love how there's a rapper that I listen to named KB, the way that he puts it. Um, in one of his songs, he starts off the song by saying, AK, AK, he's making reference to a gun. That's how my tongue sprays. Love is my clip, and you're going to be my gun range. And then later on he says, truth is my clip, and you're going to be my gun range. This is what, what he's saying is that he is ready to wage war on God's behalf by using love and truth. That is what God calls his people to. He calls his people, there, there's, there's a judgment that the threshing floor, kind of the, the image of the threshing floor gives us, but there's also a, a harvesting idea that the threshing floor gives us. And God calls his people to go out confidently and wage war against the lies of the world, against the unbelief of the world, with truth and love. To 
set free those who are captive to lies and unbelief with his truth. To take captives with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the news that Jesus has come to set people free, that we would devote the gain to the Lord, the wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. That is, that is what God calls us to do, to go and wage war, to fight, to stand up and fight for injustice, or for, for, for justice and mercy, to fight against injustice, to fight for justice and mercy in all areas of our lives, in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools, to fight for those who are limping themselves, and to set people free with the truth. So he calls us to go on the offensive. And I want to encourage you to think about this. As if, if you have come to a place where you have where trusted in Christ, and this is one of the things he calls you to, not just to find comfort, but to go on the offensive, to wage war with the truth of who God is, with the love that he has shown us, to sacrifice ourselves for others, and to serve them, that they might be set free to know God himself. But as lame and limping ones, how are we supposed to hope to do this? How are we supposed to hope to do this? There, there's only one way. There's only one way. And that's by relying completely on the one who can hold us up, right? As we limp along, we can't really hope to do much unless we have somebody who is absolutely strong and that's going to stand with us and hold us up. Um, let, me, let me remind you of the Olympic runner named Derek Redmond. I think I've told this story before. Um, you can probably remember it if you remember watching the Olympics in 1992 in Barcelona. But he's a, a sprinter for Great Britain, and he, he was running in the 400-meter sprint. And he got down in the blocks with everybody else, with the other seven runners, and uh, it's a beautiful sunny day in this huge stadium in Barcelona. And the gun goes off, and, and he just explodes out of the blocks. And everybody is running and, and competing um, to the best of their ability. And he's right in the thick of things as the, as the race is about halfway over. He's right in the middle of the pack. like right, He's, he's vying for, for, for a medal here. And then about halfway through, on the, on the, on the far side of the track, suddenly he goes down on his knee. And everybody else just keeps running. And, and, and he's down on one knee, and, and, and they show him there on one knee, holding the back of his leg, holding his hamstring. One hand holding his, holding his leg, his other hand holding his face as he's on the, down there on one knee on the track. And, 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 he, and he just stays there for several seconds as the rest of the, rest of the, the competitors finish the race. Eventually, after a few more seconds, he struggles to his feet and he starts to try to limp along the track, kind of hop, limp, just holding the back of his leg, grimacing in pain, crying, tears of disappointment. And he limps and he limps and he limps along and the camera focuses in on him as he continues to limp along the track and he gets around the final bend and as he's coming around the final bend, everybody's wondering, is he, is he going to be able to make it, you know? So he's limping along, and, and all of a sudden, out of the stands, this middle-aged man comes running out onto the track. It's Derek's father. And, and he comes down there, and he comes right up next to Derek, 
and he grabs Derek's arm and puts it around his shoulders, and he puts his arm around his waist. And he said, son, I got you. Lean on me. And, and so Derek finally kind of stops trying to run, and he just starts walking with his dad, walking along the track, limping along the track, because his dad holds him up. The security guards kind of come down. They're, they're like, you can't do this. You can't do this. And he's just like waving them away as he continues to carry his son, basically, to the finish line. And you know, I, I don't, as glorious as the Olympics are, um, as all those people who compete are running for glory, right? I don't remember anything else from the Olympics that year. I remember that. I don't remember who won the gold medal in that race. I remember Derek Redmond, this man who was limping to the finish line as his dad held him up. In, uh, as Micah speaks to the Israelites, he says, you may feel lame, you may be limping, you may be feel cast off, but in verse 9, he says this. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? I think, he's, I think these are, 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 are questions that he's expecting them to have a specific answer to. Is there no king in you? See, the Israelites throughout their whole history, they've always been wanting a king like every other nation. But God has been insistent, I am your king. I am your king. God finally like, gives them kings, and they have these kings that never measure up. But ultimately, at whether the kings are present or absent, God is never absent. He's always there. When he says, is there no king in you, among you? He's, he's saying, guys, I'm here. I am here. Is there no counselor? Has your counselor perished? No. God is here. God is here. Their king, their counselor. He has come down to care for them, for them to lean on, to bring them to glory. As we limp through life, as we struggle with our sin, as we struggle with the pain of life, he wants to remind us, don't live your life as if there's no king among you. He has come down in the person of Jesus Christ. He has come down in the person of Jesus Christ and he has he's come and, and lived the perfect life for us and he's died on the cross to pay for our sin and he's risen from the dead. We have a king who has come down out of the stands to hold on to us and to carry us to the finish line, to give us strength. That is what he wants to comfort us with. That is what he wants to challenge us with. He's, he's walking with us to carry us to make us productive, to make us fruitful, to give us strength. Let's rest in his arms today as we continue to limp along, knowing that he makes us strong in our weakness. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us, um, each of us, as we deal with the things that have caused us to limp along in life. Some of us are limping severely right now. Some of us, maybe it's just a minor limp. Um, some of us, maybe you don't feel like we're limping at all, but, but Father, I know, we know that, that, that there will be something that comes today, tomorrow, this week that shows us how weak we are. Father, we pray that you would help us to lean on you, to know that you are sufficient, to know that your Son has come down to carry us. Help us to rest on him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
in light of what God has done, in light of who Jesus is and, and how he has given himself for us, it's appropriate for us to, to confess the ways that, that our own sin has been the cause of our weakness and our pain in our lives and that we need his mercy and forgiveness. So, um, so in light of the truth of God, let's take a moment to confess our sin and to rest in his forgiveness and mercy this morning. There's a prayer printed in the order of worship. If you have that open and, and want to read that along with me, please do. If you don't, just listen and pray with me. Let's pray together. O God of compassion, our heavenly Father, in Jesus Christ you did not disdain the company of sinners, but welcomed them with love. Look upon us in mercy, we pray. Our sins are more than we can bear. Our pasts enslave us. Our misdeeds are beyond correcting. Forgive the wrongs we cannot undo. Free us from a past we cannot change. Heal what we can no longer fix. Fill our lives with your grace, forgiveness, and power. And turn our tears of sorrow into tears of joy. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, we now take a moment in the silence to privately confess our sin to you. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for forgiving us, for forgiving us through your, the work of your son, Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let's rest in him as we continue to worship.